and welcome to the podcast for the journal Integrated Environmental Assessment and Management, better known as IEAM. I'm Jenny Shaw. We all know that it's important to protect our skin from the harmful rays of the sun. Most of us apply sunscreen before a day in the sun or at the beach. But what happens to the sunscreen that washes off in the water, whether from swimming or down the drain while we're showering after? We've only recently begun to learn about the consequences of sunscreen use, from endocrine disruption to harmful effects on wildlife and environmental damage. The September 2021 issue of IEAM features a special series on sunscreen in aquatic ecosystems. One article reviews the impact of chemical sunscreens on coral reefs and identifies knowledge gaps and research priorities. We spoke with lead author Yasmin Watkins to learn more. Yasmin just completed her Master of Science degree in Marine Environmental Management at the University of York, and we caught up with her just before she left to start an internship at the Marine Conservation Society Seychelles. Hi, Yasmin. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me. We often think of sunscreens only for their protective benefit to us. Can you tell us a little bit about how sunscreens are posing a risk to coral reefs? So when we think about sunscreens posing a risk to coral reefs, what we're really talking about is the ultraviolet filters that are a common ingredient found within sunscreens. And they're not just found within these sunscreens, they're also found in cosmetic products. Like you said, with the growing concerns over our health from skin cancer, this has led to an extensive use of these products and subsequently an increase in release into the marine environment. When we put sun cream on our bodies and we go for a swim, they're directly washed off into the sea. But then also they can enter the environment indirectly. When we wash off in the shower, the chemicals are ending up in wastewater effluents and runoff. There has been evidence that these compounds are lethal to coral larvae and it can sterilize and cause bleaching. And some of the toxicity assays that have been investigated have different endpoints. They all look at different effects that these chemicals are causing on species. So some of these things can be the expulsion of the symbiotic zooxanthellae, functional and structural cell failure, and even coral death. They've seen in labs that it's affecting larval settlement inhibition. And if we lose coral reefs, we lose a large amount of tourism and income from tourism. We get biomedical products from our coral reefs, and they provide protection from our coast. There are so many benefits that the coral reefs provide ecologically yeah. and couched in terms of ecosystem services, benefits to humans. So you conducted a pretty thorough review. Can you tell us a bit about what you found? Yeah, so our research demonstrates really that our current understanding and extent of knowledge on these issues are limited. So we've already seen that singular UV filter compounds have demonstrated toxic effects on marine organisms. However, exposure assessments that have been conducted, they're often acute and simplistic. They lack important biotic parameters and even spatial and temporal. And in addition to that, when we consider environmental conditions on top of those factors, these may either increase or decrease the response of an organism to these toxicants. And it makes it really difficult for us to establish a true ecotoxological risk. So what me and Dr. Salek, my co-author, did was to visualize the current data that we had. We developed a map, and this map included current global occurrence of UV filters that were detected in marine surface waters. 
and we plotted them against cold and warm water coral reefs. From that, we were able to see that oxybenzone is the most frequently detected UV filter and was reported in all of the sample areas. And when we look at the map even further, we can see that published reports have focused primarily on European countries, China and USA, but very few have actually sampled in areas of coral reefs. What was interesting was that samples containing UV filters in areas of little to no tourism, like the middle of the Pacific Ocean and the Arctic, were showing traces of oxybenzone. It gives us evidence that there's the potential for these chemicals to persist in the environment, that they can be transported via ocean currents or even in the atmosphere. With the ecotoxological data we compiled and the current distribution data, we were able to compare the lethal concentration values with the concentrations detected in the marine environment. And from that, we were able to see that there were a handful of incidences where the detection would be above a level of concern. So, for example, a high concentration of oxybenzone was observed in Spain, and this exceeded a lethal toxicity concentration established within a lab. And it just suggests that there is potential for coral mortality in that specific area. So what we're seeing overall is an emerging evidence that there are pathways of toxicity into various organisms in coral reefs, but our data is limited and there's not enough to perform any kind of species sensitive distribution or in fact any other statistical extrapolation protocols, which means we're unable to derive predictive no effect concentrations for regulations and particularly in coral reef ecosystems. That's quite a glaring gap yeah. in the existing research, isn't it? Something you mentioned earlier in your answer also struck me where most of the sampling has been done in the U.S. and, and European waters and very much not in the, the majority of these coral reef habitats, which is surprising because I would think that researchers would be applying for grants to go to those places yeah. to sample. Can you tell us a little bit more about the research gaps that you revealed during this process? From our review, we identified 24 specific knowledge gaps, and these were based on the effects of UV filter exposure to coral reefs. From that, we were able to group those into eight general research areas. So these eight research areas included things like the effects on UV filter exposure to different biotic parameters. So these would be coral species type, life cycle stage of test species, the effects of whole products and co-exposure testing. So at the moment, we've only looked at a single UV compound and tested against that. But when you look at sunscreens, there's three to eight UV filters within a product. And on top of that, there's other compounds involved in that whole product. So what is that whole product effect on coral reefs? Once you identified these research gaps, you conducted a survey among experts to help prioritize. What did your survey show? Well, we really wanted to have our respondents represent different affiliations within the field. So we distributed our survey to those within academia, nonprofit, industry and governmental affiliations because we also wanted to see what the affiliation had as a priority compared to others. Four areas emerged of highest priority. The first was the effects of UV filter toxicity when coinciding with those additional climate-induced environmental stresses. So temperature, pH, salinity, and ocean acidification. 
The second that came up as a priority was the long-term consequences of UV filter exposure on coral reefs and what impacts that has on the recovery of them. The third was the realistic test conditions of the coral reef ecosystems. Were the species representative? Were they endemic to that area that we're researching? And finally, the fourth most prioritized was the ecotoxological effects of UV filter degradation products and metabolites. Once these UV filters are in the environment, when they break down, what are the effects of those degradation products on the coral reef? All of the concerns that are coming to light about the environmental consequences of our, our sunscreen use, it's hard to feel good about protecting our skin, but yet I don't think the takeaway is that people stop using sunscreen, right? No. Having done this body of work, what have been your takeaways? I mean, is there a type of sunscreen with an ingredient that is better to use one versus the other? I think when I look at sunscreens, I do look at the ingredients. And the one that obviously stands out a lot and is probably what's had the most media and the most attention would be oxybenzone. It is a more common ingredient and it has got actually a lower degradation rate compared to other UV filters. So it lasts longer and that's what the issue is. Maybe the safest option when it's possible is just to cover up instead of having exposed skin. I know. And I think the whole point of my paper is really that there is evidence that certain chemicals are causing problems, but we actually don't have enough data to really conclude and make that final decision. It really seems to me like there's a bit of a call to action here. Uh, with some next steps outlined specifically. Yeah. Thank you very much, Yasmin. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Yasmin Watkins discuss her article, Investigating the Exposure and Impact of Chemical UV Filters on Coral Reef Ecosystems, Review and Research Gap Prioritization. Access the article in the September 2021 issue of IEAM. Just go to SeaTacJournals.org. I'm Jenny Shaw, and thank you for listening to the IEAM podcast.